So I mentioned we're going to be in Genesis 2 tonight, and we're, we're, we're in the second half of a two-part series on dating. Now, if, you, if you're coming here, it's Father's Day, and you're like, a sermon on dating? That doesn't feel, that's kind of weird for Father's Day. Well, if you, it's not that weird. You know, if you, if you are a father, uh, it's not that weird, you know, because you have kids that are interested in dating, and you want to be able to advise them as best as you possibly can. So fathers, uh, this is my little gift to you um, as we think about dating tonight in a, in a God-honoring way. We're going to be in Genesis 2, and I'm going to read verse 18 to 25. If you guys will listen along as I read aloud, of course, these, these words come to us inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, they come to us with authority, the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself were saying these words to us. So let's hear together the word of our Lord. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heaven and, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, for the man, there was not a helper found fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, ha, this at last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and the woman were both naked, and we're not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I grew up in a, uh, in a world, in, in a kind of church Christian ministry world where uh, dating wasn't super taboo. It was certainly something that we talked about, um, especially like in my youth group. I actually grew up in a time that has been labeled the Christian purity culture. Uh, and there were some converging movements during that time. Uh, the first is there was a, a a lot of material and a set of conferences called the True Love Waits Movement. And it was a big abstinence movement. It was um, a movement trying to get young people to, to wait to have marriage, to wait until marriage to have sex. And, and so they would, they would certainly talk about the Lord and loving the Lord, but a lot of the impetus of it was, you know, not getting an STD or not getting a girl pregnant or not, you know, getting pregnant or not, uh, or, or saving yourself so you could give your best to your husband. It was those, that was that kind of language. The other uh, big part of the movement um, was there was a book uh, published in the late 90s called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Now this book, it was a mega bestseller. I mean, a mega bestseller. Uh, it sold 1.2 million copies, which that doesn't seem like a lot. That's a lot for a book sale. You know, uh, the average New York Times bestseller will sell less than 100,000 copies a year. So this sold, you know, 1.2 million, not in one year, but just to, just to show you, it was, a, it was definitely a New York Times bestselling book, definitely a culture-shaping, generation-shaping book. 
And, and, and the same kind of things were said in this book. It was a book about waiting. It was a book about not, it was critiquing dating culture, saving your best for your spouse, not bringing a bunch of relational baggage into uh, the, the marriage and, and really not dating at all, kind of hanging out as friends and then you know pursuing formal relationship really straight from friendship. Now, this was a lot of messaging that, that was kind of big in the late 90s and maybe early 2000s when I was um, in my dating adolescent years. Now, frankly, I feel like a lot of my friends just kind of ignored this and didn't follow it. But some people did, and I'm not going to say everybody with bad results. I mean, a lot of people, I think, were blessed by these resources. But a lot of people followed these pathways with a great sense of disillusionment. In fact, I've just, there's been a lot of reaction in recent years against this kind of Christian purity dating thing. And I, we could talk about that, and we're going to have some Q&As, and I'd love to talk about that as to maybe why that was or why that is. I mean, even Joshua Harris the pastor that wrote the book has now left pastoral ministry and even left the Christian faith. So, you know, it's interesting. A lot of these resources Christians have kind of backed off from and are, I think, in an era now where people are kind of quiet about dating. Now, all of these resources, even though they may not have been perfect, they were, they were trying to push against something on the other side that was harmful, a dating culture that leaves people very broken and very disillusioned itself. In fact, I mean, a lot of the pastoral counseling that I do, you know, I'll talk to people and they have been very negatively affected by some sort of dating relationship, baggage that they carry around, bitterness that they have, uh, decisions that they made. Their, their heart got turned away from the things of the Lord when they were in some sort of relationship or they made decisions that they still have regrets from. Even to this day, people uh, carry around great sense of brokenness and pain, disillusionment, heartache from bad decisions made in dating. So I think this is a really important thing for us to talk about. And how do we think about this biblically? How do we think about this in a way that pleases the Lord? Now, the thing that's hard about this, the thing that's tricky about talking about dating from a biblical perspective is there's not a like verse in the Bible. You know, there's not like a chapter of the Bible that says, you know, there's a little subscript says on dating, you know, or where it says, and when you date, you know, you shall first go to coffee at Starbucks and then, you know, to dinner and, you know, don't kiss before the third date or whatever. There's, there, there's not like a section of scripture that says this is how you do this in some sort of a God-honoring way. Of course, if you were here last week, I, I talked about it. There's dating actually as a phenomenon is kind of new in society and culture. It wasn't always the way that people would pursue marriage. In order to think about it biblically, you have to what's called do theology, right? You have to do theology. You have to take what the Bible says. You have to take what we know is true in scripture and, and take it all kind of together and apply it to the moment that we find ourselves in. And actually, I think Genesis 2.24, this text we just looked at, is really helpful, really key in understanding this. Of course, we, we just read about the institution of marriage, the beginning of marriage. And then in Genesis 2.24, and this is important. I want you to see a couple of things in here. It says, if we get that on the screen, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Okay, so there, 
I think the text wants you to see something. There's a leaving of father and mother, right? There's an understanding of covenant here. You shall step away from one family and then hold fast to his wife and form, as it were, a new family. And of course, the sign of this new family, we talked about this last week, the covenantal sign of marriage is sex, this one flesh union between man and woman. So you have covenant here, the covenant of family, and you have covenant here, the covenant of marriage. And we see this word, hold fast. It's the, it's the Hebrew here, dabach. And I actually like the, 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 the old KJV translation better. It's cleave. We don't really use that word anymore. But I, I like that word, it cleave, it covenant. The man and the woman shall covenant with one another. They form a whole self union with one another. And, and a covenant is a relationship that is based on the relationship. If you've been at Christ's covenant, you've heard me talk about the difference between marketplace relationships and covenantal relationships. And, and if you've heard me talk about that, I, I do want to be very clear. I'm not against marketplace relationships. This is not, I've never said those things in a, in a way to critique that there are marketplace relationships that exist. It's just to give it, there's a difference between covenantal relationships and marketplace relationships. So, you know, a lot of y'all have heard me talk about my shoe repair guy, Benny. You know, if you ever need to get your shoes repaired, you know, if, you need, if your shoes need, shoes need resoling or, you know, something's happened, the leather's gotten messed up, you take them over here to Benny's. It's right on Piedmont. A lot of people have asked me, you know, tell, Benny's I, tell Benny I sent you. He doesn't give me a discount. Um, but he's going to do a good job with your shoes. Now, he might, he might use some salty language while you're there. You know, I can't affirm Benny's language. But, you know, what good shoe repairman doesn't, you know, use a little salty language here or there. And he'll do a great job repairing your shoe. Now, I love my relationship with Benny. I love that relationship. That's a marketplace relationship. And I love it, right? It's a good marketplace relationship. I'm very positive toward it. But it's a marketplace relationship, meaning it's based on an exchange. Benny doesn't just repair my shoes because he loves me. He repairs my shoes because I give him money to repair my shoes. And if Benny didn't repair my shoes or if I got the shoes back and they weren't any good, he didn't do a good job, he didn't resold them properly, guess what? I wouldn't give him money, right? It's, it's, a, it's a relationship that is based on the exchange of goods. It's a different kind of relationship than I have with like my son, right? Who's my son because he's my son. You know, if I said to you guys, hey, you know, we're not gonna keep John Kellis, my son. We're not gonna keep him this summer. And you say, well, why? What's, what happened to John Kellis? I said, well, you know, he, he didn't come in the top 10 in the fun run at his school. And I said, I wanna get a faster kid, you know. Y'all would be like, what, what, what's wrong with you? That, that, that's, not, that's not the deal here. He's, he's not your son because he's fast, you know. Or if I said, you know, my youngest, Rainer, uh, you know, he's really loud. Um, we're gonna get a quieter child, you know. You would say, no, 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 that, that's, not, that's, not, that's not how you have a relationship with your child. That's a covenantal relationship, right? My, my, my children were born to me. That's what made me a father. That, they're, they're my children because they're my children, and, and that is the kind of relationship that marriage is. I, I want you to hear this. That is the kind of relationship that marriage is. It's a covenantal relationship. 
You're holding fast to one another. It's not a relationship that is based on the exchange of goods. I mean, we see this in the marriage vows. Uh, let's put those on the screen. I mean, just look at the marriage vows. They're not conditional, are they? Right? So in the name of God, I, you know, groom, take you bride to be my wife, to have and to hold, right? It's actually a nod toward this kind of language. I'm holding you. I'm cleaving to you. I'm joining with you. And then it's not conditional. It's for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish you and, until death. It, it is, there's, there's no condition that, that gets you out of this covenant except for death. <laughs> this is my solemn vow. This is the nature of a covenantal relationship. So here's the deal about dating. I want you to see this. You start off in dating, in life rather, in a covenant with your family. All right, so I mentioned my children. They're my children because they're my children. And so this is the, I'm drawing here land, like secure land. You start off on the safe land of covenant with family. Hopefully you have a loving father, a loving mother. I know that's not always the case, but, but that's the idea that you would, you would come from this secure place of being in a family. And what you're moving to, again, is the covenant of marriage, where you hold fast to one another, where you cleave to one another, where you're bound to one another in an unconditional way, Right? And that's, that's an important thing. Within marriage, goods are exchanged, right? So Paige and I have a sense of partnership. We do things for one another. We, we exchange gifts for one another. But the, the relationship is not dependent on those gifts, right? The, the, the goods that are exchanged within a covenant are actually just because we love each other. That's the amazing thing. The relationship, me and Benny, there's an exchange and the whole relationship rests on that exchange, Within a covenant, though, gifts are exchanged. I mean, my kids, you know, gave me a Father's Day hug today. They didn't give me much of a gift. I didn't even get socks. But they gave me a hug, and I'm grateful for that, you know? But, but, but the relationship is not based on the exchange of goods, right? The, the, there's, goods, there's goods that are exchanged, but the relationship is not based on that. It's, it's this safe and secure covenant. That is God's design of marriage. And so... What happens in dating, though, is you're moving from this safe covenant of family to this safe covenant of marriage, but you have to cross this sea of dating. And let me just tell you, it is a, it can be a dangerous sea out there. It can be a rocky sea out there. You know, in, in, in a Another time, in an olden time, it wasn't such a big sea. I mean, in fact, I mentioned last week that families used to be more involved, right? It used to be, we used to not just say, hey, hormone-filled, romantic, young kid, go out and find a spouse that you're going to be bound with for the rest of your life. The families took more ownership of that and said, hey, let's try to make sure our son or our daughter lands with someone that, you know, is going to be suitable for them. And I'm not saying that was a perfect system. And there was certainly a lot of abuses within that system and people were greedy and there was a lot of trades that were made. And so again, I'm not, I'm not saying we have to go back to the arranged marriage system, but, but in, in a previous time, there, there wasn't such a divide. You know, it, it, in fact, actually the language, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and cleave unto his wife, right? A woman shall leave her father and mother and cleave unto her husband. In, in the olden times, it was more of just a, you went from one household to the other. But today, I mean, just think about this. I mean, men and women reach sexual maturity at age 12, 13, 14, somewhere in there. But the average marriage age for a woman is 27. For a man, it's 29. And so we have created this like 15 year, and this is, that's average. We've created this massive sea where there's just all of these pitfalls that people can fall into and broken hearts and loss and sense of longing. So the, the question becomes, how do you maneuver this? <laughs> how do you maneuver this in a God-honoring way? How, how, do you move, how do you go from the safety of covenant with family to the safety of covenant with marriage in a way that truly pleases the Lord? Here's the deal. And this is one of the things that, that makes it really tricky is that dating itself, I mean, the nature of dating is even in the best sense is, is somewhat of a marketplace relationship, right? You move out into the world of dating and you know, you're trying to find someone that you're attracted to. You try to find somebody that you have chemistry with. You're, you're trying to find somebody that, that you desire in a certain sense of a way. It's not covenant yet, right? It's a sense of I'm trying to find somebody that I'm drawn to. And even in the best sense, I mean, people will say, well, I'm not into you know, beauty or whatever, but I just want to find somebody that you know, makes me come alive mentally or emotionally. Well, that's still, that's still something that you're kind of looking for, that you're drawing on. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be totally vain things. That There is a marketplace aspect to the nature of dating in general. And in, in, in a totally open market where everyone is out to get the greatest deal and get the most for themselves, that's how the, oper- the marketplace operates. It's very easy to get hurt. It's very easy to get taken advantage of. It's very easy to, to fall in love and with the person that may not be a good person for you. And, and here's the deal. I love romance. I mean, I love romance. I love the idea of falling in love. I love this idea of, I mean, I love it. I'm a very romantic person. But those kinds of things, romance and hormones, they can blind you. And so how do you maneuver this? How do you maneuver this? I mean, I feel like I've set the question up here, right? How, how do you get from one covenant to the other in a safe way in this world where we've created this massive sea of dating? And really the answer is this. You have to remember, how do you get from covenant of family to covenant of marriage? You have to remember the bigger covenant, the bigger covenant that you are a part of in Christ. You have to remember the bigger sense of covenant that you are a part of in Christ. Two things here. First, you have to remember who you are in Christ. You have to remember that you are called into covenant relationship with God himself. God says in Hebrews 8, I've made a covenant with you. First Corinthians 6, we learn that God has, by the blood of Christ, he's bought us with a price. Ephesians 2, we, we learn that we who were separated from God in our sin have by the mercy of God been made alive together with Jesus. God has made a covenant with us by the blood of Christ. He has brought us into fellowship with himself. And all throughout the New Testament, we see this covenantal language. We are part of the body of Christ. Colossians 1, Romans 12, Ephesians 3. We are the bride of Christ. 
Um, Ephesians 5, Revelation 19, 21. We're part of the household of God, Galatians 6. We're sons and daughters, right? Hear the covenant of language. We're sons and daughters of God, John 1. So I want you to hear this. I want you to listen, listen to me, especially you single folk out there. You are not alone. You don't need to have it's nice to have a relationship. I'm sure you want a relationship. I want a relationship too, but you don't have to have a relationship to have an identity. God has called you to himself. You belong to God and you're called to live for God. Don't cheapen that. First Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? First Corinthians six nineteen it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? How about that? That you are, I mean, that's an amazing thing. What God has done to you is he's called, him, called you to himself. He's made you so holy in Jesus that now you are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. God says, you are my temple. You are the place where my spirit will dwell. You are the place where heaven and earth meet. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Remember the bigger covenant that you are a part of. Remember who you actually are. Your identity doesn't need to come from romance or work or money. Your identity comes from the Lord. You are the Lord's. And if you realize this, second thing, if you get this, if you recognize who you are in the Lord, if you remember who you are in God, you will also realize that this, this covenant that God has made with you, he has made with all other believers, that you have been brought into a covenant family. You are a part of a covenant people. This is something about the gospel that's so amazing. That the gospel of Jesus is so strong that God has taken people from different races, different classes, different tribes, different types of people, and he has made them all one family in the Lord. And so the way that now the Bible talks about you and me, the way the Bible talks about Christians, people in the Lord, after they've come to know God through Jesus, the way the Bible talks about you now is as a household, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. First Timothy 5, we see Paul using this brother-sister kind of language. Matthew 5, Matthew 18, 1 John 1, Romans 11, Romans 12, Romans 15, all throughout 1 Corinthians. We see this all throughout the Bible. This, this household language, God has made us one body, one household, one family, one new family, brother and sister in the Lord. Now the Bible doesn't have a ton of directions on dating. I already mentioned that. But one thing it's very clear on, you know, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, I want you to hear this. One thing the Bible is very clear on is this, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Which that means is don't marry someone outside of this covenant community. Realize that in Christ, God has made you a new covenant people. You are now a part of the household of God. You're called the sons and daughters of God. You're the family of God. Don't be unequally yoked with someone outside of that. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For again, it goes back to the same language, for we are the temple of the living 
God. You are the temple. You are the place where the spirit of God dwells. You've been bought with a price. Do not be unequally. Do not yoke that up. Do not yoke what God has purchased with an unbeliever. And the, and the, the, the illustration here is very powerful. A, a yoke is like a harness that you would put over two animals. And so basically what, what he's saying here is don't, don't yoke, don't harness an oxen and a donkey. <laughs> Don't put two different types of things under the same yoke. In fact, if you were to do that, both animals would be harmed. It would be unproductive and both animals would get injured in the process. Here's the principle. If God has called you to marry a believer, then don't date unbelievers. If you're not going to marry an unbeliever, don't date an unbeliever. And so if you're honoring this, right? Let's go, we can go back to our picture now. How do you get across the sea of dating in a way that is safe, that's not gonna kill you, that's not gonna leave you shipwrecked? It's to realize this bigger covenant. And if you're honoring this, if you realize I am a part of the household of God, then, then, then fundamentally, the, the people that you're in relationship with, the people that you're pursuing dating relationships with are your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Do we really see one another like that? Do we really see one another as the same household, right? Do you, do you love your family? I mean, that's, that's really the question. Is your Christianity just so individualistic or do you see yourself as, man, I am a part of a covenant people here. God has brought me into a household. I should be concerned with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, I'll be honest, this gets easier after you're married. You know, when I... When I was single and I would meet, you know, a young single gal that, I, you know, I thought was attractive. I'll be honest. My first thought probably wasn't, this is my dear sister in Christ, you know. I think my first thought was, wow, she's pretty cute. Maybe she'll go out with me. You know, maybe she'll think I'm cool, you know. And so, again, I, I realize that this, it's not normal. It's not natural, but it's actually what God has called you to. I mean, that's, that's what I'm trying to do with this sermon. I'm actually trying to reform the way that you actually understand who you are and understand who they are, who everyone else is. We're a family. That's how we should approach one another. And this doesn't just concern with how we date one another. It's in terms of everything. I mean, you know, if you're in Christ, you're my brother in Christ. If you're my Christ, you're my, my dear sister in Christ. Like, how do, I, how do I want my sister to be treated? How do I want my sister to be honored? I mean, my household, you know, the same way I think of my own household right now. I, I am, I just talked about the ministry that I have over my little household, the D's household. Well, how do I want my daughter to be treated? My, my son to be treated? I, I want them to flourish. I want them to be successful. I want them to be honored. That's, that's the same kind of thinking that we should have toward one another in all things. And, and if you if you actually can, see your life like that and, and see your dating like that, that that'll, to, that'll totally inform the way you date one another, the way you pursue one another, the, the way you pursue one another's holiness, the, the way you pursue one another's purity, the way you pursue one another's flourishing. Now, again, what I'm saying, okay, I want you to hear this. Like, I, I get it, I get it. What I'm saying seems so strange, you're like, wait a second, what? I'm gonna date people for the sake of holiness? That seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because everything in this world has said, marketplace, 
hot guy, product. Get as much as you can of him without having to give much. Hot girl, product. Get as many of her as you can possibly give without having to give. That's, that's what the whole world around you says. It says, use, take, use, get. But the covenant says, you've been bought with a price. You're the Lord's. She is the Lord's. He is the Lord's. Give, love, household, flourish together. If we could actually take a hold of that, and again, this is not an, this is not, you say, well, we're having to do theology. This is not an obscure idea. This is not an obscure Christian idea. You may have never heard this applied to dating before, and shame on me and shame on, you know, other Christian teachers. The household language is everywhere in the New Testament. It's, it's everywhere in the New Testament. I mean, that's the whole New Testament. <laughs> Talking about who we now are as a body, as a family, as, as co-heirs with Christ, it's, it's all over the New Testament. How we treat our brothers and sisters in dating matters. It matters. You know, I, I'm very grateful that, you know, I, I actually consider friends, I mean, friends of mine, guys that Paige used to date. And she has friends that I used to date, good friends. And again, I, I didn't do this perfectly, but I, by God's grace, Paige and I had some sense of this. And there's not this just trail of carnage behind us. We were able to realize, wait, actually we have, the, the relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ is an eternal one. You, you know that to be true? You know, the relationship that I have with Paige as my sister in Christ is actually a longer lasting relationship than I have with her as my earthly wife. You know, the relationship that I have with you, sisters and brothers, we, we, will, we will be in the kingdom. We are part of the household of God. These are eternal relationships. Marriage, actually, the Bible says is temporary. Marriage is only an earthly. There's no marriage in heaven. There's no marriage um, you know, after this life. That's why, we, that's why we don't say until eternity uh, in our marriage vows, we say until death do us part. We, we understand that there's actually a termination of even the best marriages, but who we are as the household of God goes on forever. How you date matters. Now, again, I, of course, there is some sense of marketplace in dating. And I'm not saying that all of that's necessarily bad. I, I want you to be with someone that you find attractive or be with someone that you share some chemistry with. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make here. Don't, don't ever let a marketplace factor usurp the covenant that you are a part of. No dating relationship should ever dishonor your covenantal relationship. You hear that? No, no dating relationship. Don't ever let a dating relationship dishonor the covenant relationship that you're in. Now, I'm sure if you break up, it's sad. You know, of course, I'm not saying that this is, you know, it's sad, but can you walk away from that relationship and say, you know what? I'm closer to Jesus as a result of being in that relationship. And after the fact, you know, of course, when there's some healing time, there's respect and, and love. Like I said, you can be friends with that person, you know, in time, in healing. Don't ever let a dating relationship usurp the, the stronger and more eternal covenant relationship that you have with that brother or sister in the Lord. The secular world will say product, 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 take, get, get, get. But, but this world that you've been called to in Christ says brother, sister, 
give, protect, bring about their flourishing, bring about their good. I want to get really um, practical with you, but we really just don't have time tonight, but we will have time. We're actually going to do, I'm going to do a sermon talk back tomorrow with Liz Francho and Jennifer McClish. And if you have questions, you can text them in, you can text them to me, text the pastor. We're also going to do a live Q&A on July 16th that's going to be all about dating. So we're going to do like, like we did a few weeks ago after the service. Um, we're going to have a live Q&A. So I really want to get practical here, but, but three things real quick before I close. The posture of dating, the environment of dating, and then the goal of dating. The posture of dating. You know, I'm just going to be very clear here. The, the, the main goal, the main, like what you're looking for, what you're leaning toward in dating is primarily marriage, right? The, the, the goal, the end goal of dating is marriage. It's not recreation. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, I think dating is fun. I think relationships are fun. I think romance is fun. But at best, fun or recreation is the, is the secondary goal. The primary goal is, is this actually moving toward, is it working toward this covenant of marriage that God has given us as this gift? And if that's true, if the end goal here is marriage, then that, that will really inform who you're dating. I mean, ladies, God has called men to be the head of a household. Is the guy that you're dating or wanting to date, see the kind of guy that can actually lead a household that you want to be a part of? See, the kind of guy that can actually lead you spiritually, that you respect. It's the kind of man that you want leading your home. You know, men, is the girl that you're dating, is she the kind of woman that stirs you along toward godliness, to truly be a great man, to truly be partnered with for the sake of the Lord? Now, I want to be careful here. We don't assume those roles in dating, right? So, so men, you're, you're not called to take a role of headship in a dating relationship, that relationship is a brother-sister relationship. It is, it is before the covenant of marriage. But is this the kind of person that, that you can see in those roles, that you can see having a God-honoring relationship alongside? The posture of marriage, the posture of dating rather, is toward marriage. Second, the environment of dating. Now, again, I am not saying that you only have to date in groups. You can't go out one-on-one. -on -one. But I will say this. I see this all the time. Couple starts to get together and they kind of disappear, right? You ever see this? Couple gets together and they kind of disappear into the black hole of dating relationship. And they used to have friends and now they're never with their friends. They used to be a part of this Bible study and now they're not doing that. The environment, the best environment for a healthy dating relationship is in community with other people. Again, I'm not saying you can't go on one-on-one -on -one dates or anything like that. But, but I am saying is if, if, you, if you come into a relationship with someone and you totally cut off your community, a worshiping community around you, people that are stirring you on toward love and good deeds, people that are keeping you accountable, the, the result of that is not going to be good. Are you dating in a sense in community? Is, is this relationship actually leading you to be a better friend? Leading you to be... Um, more compassionate toward the people you're around, more, more concerned with, with their lives and their spirituality. Now, again, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're dating someone, you may not be as available as you were, you know, outside of that. You know, if you're just the 
you know, single guy that's just ready to hang out whenever. Of course, if you're dating someone, there may be a few more things on your schedule. But, but are you pulling away from the kind of community that stirs you along to be a better man or woman? Are, are your friends affirming your relationship? Are older brothers and sisters in the Lord affirming? This is a good relationship. This is from the Lord. And then finally, so the posture of dating is toward marriage. The environment of dating is a worshiping community. And then finally, the goal of dating. And I want to say this, I want to say it very clearly. The goal of dating is holiness. <laughs> the goal of dating, I mean, the big goal of dating is holiness, that you would grow in godliness, that you would become more like Christ. Yeah, I want to say this. I, I, I have watched people in our church. Now, this is not, this doesn't always happen. Okay, I'm not saying Christ's covenant is a perfect church, but I have watched couples in our church date and then break up. And then maybe they date somebody else and they break up. And, and, and in those cases, I've watched this happen where those people, of course, it's sad and it's painful when they break up. And, and you know, if you, all, if you know me, you know I love a good breakup song and that's a good occasion for a good breakup song. I've often said the only bad thing about getting married is that you can't listen to breakup music like you used to. But, um, but the, you know, they, they, they'll break up, but, but you know what? It's fine. They're fine. And, and, you know, he's okay. She's okay. They're both growing the Lord. They can actually look back at the dating relationship and say, you know what? That was good. We actually both grew in the Lord as a result of that. Sure, we're bummed that it didn't work out, but our, our, our spirituality isn't ravaged. <laughs> you know, our, our hearts are actually more toward the Lord. This was a faithful brother, a faithful sister that actually pushed me along toward godliness. And again, you know, look, I, I'm not saying, I don't, I don't need to condemn anyone if that is not your past in dating, but look, that's the vision, <laughs> Can we be a church, can we be a people where dating actually produces holiness? The dating culture of our church actually produces more godliness. Is that, is that the kind of culture that we can be? And I'm not saying all those relationships work out, even if they don't work out. More godliness, a net up of godliness is the result. You know, my buddies and I, when we were in college, and we didn't do this perfectly, but we would challenge one another Whenever we took a girl out, we would say, look, return her home more holy than she was when you picked her up. Return her home. That's how that's, that's you need to go on a date. Return her home more holy than she was when you picked her up. And gals to guys, you know, be about his holiness, his purity. When, when we date, are we becoming more and more like Jesus? That's the goal because that's the goal, right? That's the goal of the whole Christian life that we would live our lives like Jesus would live his life if he were us. You know, Matthew 19, these Pharisees come to Jesus and they're, they're asking about divorce. And there's one group that wants him to say this and there's another group that wants him to say that. They come to Jesus and they say, what do you say? And they, I can just see them, right? They're standing around and they're waiting to stick their chest out to the other group and say, aha, we got Jesus on our side. Now, everybody wants to do that with Jesus, right? Everybody wants Jesus on their team, right? We do this with politics. We do this with all sorts of things, right? And the way that Jesus responds, they're all left in awe. He, he presents marriage with so much weight and gravity that the disciples end up saying, oh, well, if such is the case with marriage, then who can be married? <laughs> who can do this? You know, and, and maybe today you're, you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, look, holiness, 
godliness, purity, brother, sister. If such is the case, then who can, who can do this? And I'll go ahead and tell you, look, none of us, none of us, especially in this secular marketplace, none of us can do this unless, and here's the key, unless you're in fellowship with God. And the amazing news of the gospel is that Jesus himself, God himself in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son has come to earth to identify with you in every way, to identify with all your temptations, to identify with all of the things that, that we can find a false identity in that is not the Lord. And Jesus, he came into this world full of temptation and full of misery and full of pain. And he, in every step, every step, honored his father, lived out holiness, sought purity, sought the good of others. And yet he so identified with us that he took on our record of sin. He took on our greatest burden. I mean, you talk about a covenant that Jesus has made with us. He's made a covenant with us by his blood. Based on nothing that we could do. There's no exchange. There's nothing that you can do where God would say, oh, okay, that's pretty good. No, it's only because of the righteousness of Jesus and the atoning sacrifice of Jesus that we can come into fellowship with God. But if you look to Jesus, if you look to him in faith, if you believe that he lived the life that you could never live, and if he died the death that you should have died, if you believe that, you can come into fellowship with God. You can know God. Listen to this. Through Jesus, you can know and have fellowship with God. And if you've really tasted that, it'll change you. It'll change everything about you. You, you, will, you will want to do nothing that would break this fellowship with God. And, and when you know God, when you have the security of knowing God, you have an identity that, that transcends anything. You won't have to live such a needy life. If you go into dating, if you go into romance, looking for a sense of self, looking for a sense of identity, guess what? You'll be a really bad boyfriend. You'll be a really bad girlfriend because you'll be so needy. You, you won't say this out loud, but subconsciously you'll be like, affirm me, tell me I'm cool, be pretty so people will think I'm good. Give me a sense of self, give me a sense of self, give me a sense of self. And those, that person will never be able to live up to your expectations and you will oppress and smother them. But if you go into dating and romance with the security of I know God, I have been bought with a price. I am part of God's covenant family. I am a child. I'm a son of the living God. Then you'll actually be able to go into that relationship and seek the good of the other person. You'll actually be able to go into that relationship and love the other person. Don't you see? And again, this is not just true of marriage, sex and dating and marriage. This is true of anything. I mean, you'll actually be able to work without needing work to always be affirming. You'll actually be able to have wealth without saying, I need more and more and more so I can feel really good about myself. You'll be able to use and manage those things in a way that pleases the Lord. The only chance that we have at any of this is that we would know God. We would delight in Him. And, and, and when we do, when we really do, we can really rest in him. We can move through life without so much fear and anxiety, but with poise and strength and vitality. And you know, I can't think of a better way to end our service tonight as the band comes forward than by, than by celebrating communion with one another.